We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Say hi, Roth. Hey, how's it going, man? And you know what? Fuck off, Roth, because we got a big guest today. Okay. It's, I'll talk to you it, later. Have a great it, one. It's the one only Bamani Joes from ESPN. Hi. Holy shit, really? <laughs> you told me you had just told me that it was gonna be Lauren again. This is very exciting. Yeah. Well, now, now you've insulted Lauren. I, I know oh, I have. Oh, before it was just bullshit Lauren. Now we have an actual guest. Lauren's gonna be like, hey! What the fuck? Yeah, get a TV show, Lauren. With all due respect, get a all TV right, show. We, let's let's have Bamani talk. Hi, Bamani. How are you, gentlemen? How Good, are man. you? Hey, man, just trying not to catch this shit. Other than that, you know, <laughs> I'm making it. That's a full-time job. Yeah. Are, you, on... uh, are you home? I am home. And have you been home for the entire pandemic? Yeah, I went to Rhode Island for a couple of days for my birthday, and that's it. Otherwise, I've been in the city for the, uh, for the duration. What, what more festive place to go for a special occasion Yo, than scenic it... Rhode Island? Yo, the thing about Rhode Island is, like, I'm from the South, right? So, like, yeah. all these states up here are a jumble. They're a thing to me. Like, like there's no need for lines, anything else. It's all the same thing to me. They're the yep. North, more or less. And so I'd never given any consideration as to what was or wasn't in Rhode Island at any point. But they got, you know, beaches. So, you know, went and checked out a little beach, rode through uh, Newport. That was yeah. interesting. Yeah, you know? I bet it was. Yeah. How they live up there, you know, but it was, it was, it was not bad. But yep. yeah, no, all that. Like, you cross the line from Connecticut to Rhode Island, you don't see no sign because it's the same fucking thing, yep. man. Yeah, like, like, it's, it's, it's just an uninterrupted, like, one long fried clam strip <laughs> district that stretches <laughs> yes. from, like, southern Connecticut to the top of Maine. Yeah, yes. You, I mean, honestly, once you get out, once you get out of, like, Westchester County, yeah. Everything else is just like exactly the same thing. Once you can't like easily commute back into the city, it's just all the same. You start to yeah. if you spend a lot of time up there, you start to notice like the fine points in the accents. Like when we were in Maine and my father-in-law had a yard sale and a lot of like really hardcore Mainers were coming through and there were people that sounded like pilgrims and there were people <laughs> and there were, and people that sounded like they were from like weird, uh, like where Thomas Hardy's books were set, like Marsh Country in England, and they were just they'd grown up in Maine. It's just like that is the most hardcore like apotheosis of that accent. Well, Rhode God. Island is a weird one too, though. Yeah, well, like pretty, yeah, pretty Mister Roth, hast <laughs> thou? Yeah, and we don't really talk enough about the fact that we let Rhode Island have two senators. It's great because that's like that you have a one in 75 chance in being the senator from Rhode Island if you live. Yeah, there. Like, I, like I was just thinking about it as we were there, like what level of rich people had to exist to let them and Connecticut just be their own whole state. Right. Yeah. Like for y'all, you're, right. you're, you're, you're 17 square blocks. We're going to make you a full <laughs> voting member in this. Like, it's absurd. Yeah, that's where Newport is really useful for that, too, because it like even if it's not what it used to be, you're like, oh, right. People lived in gingerbread houses. For a hundred years, and like that's that's the type of money it takes to get two senators for whatever a hundred thousand. Also, you realize, you realize how rich they got to be to like have a big time jazz festival there, like for the jazz people to be like, yeah, fuck it, we'll go to Rhode Island. Yeah, cool, All right, whatever. <laughs> it's I actually always been my dream as Archie Shep. Is to yeah, like, like yeah, like, like I think they got a blues festival too. Like they got all they bring all the culture there for the rich folks. Like entirely populated by people that they don't want to live around. Yep, <laughs> uh, that sounds right. It's like it's just so the, they make sure the people can come to Newport, so you, they, you can see their sailboats, like the yes. full Robert Kraft thing. Oh, look at the boat. <laughs> There's a smaller oh, boat within it, of course, but we don't use that. <laughs> yeah, so we have a pool dinghy for the pool boy. <laughs> but but I but I have to say, they're rich people boats are kind of charming because I lived in Miami for four years and yeah. there's no charm to those boats. They're just right. balling. <laughs> those those right. are just like, look like Cobra Commander or like, just like really yeah. super like metallic and kind of Russian accented. Yeah, I'll take a schooner oh. over that. Like a do like a Donzi boat pulling a cigarette boat behind yes. it. Yep. Yeah, dude, levels of rich are so fascinating because when I lived in Miami, like that was the first time I had any like taste of money. So I decided that if nothing else, I was going to get a place befitting of a man of my stature right of course so i was renting this condo um at 50th and collins which by the way is half of what i pay here okay so <laughs> yeah like, on, on one side i got the beach on the other side i've got the intracoastal waterway and i just remember i used to look out the window 
And this one dude had this amazing boat. Like his boat was incredible. And I swear, every morning he woke up and he looked out the window. You know what he saw? Not his boat, but the boat next door that just was shitting all over his boat the whole way because it was a different level of rich, right? And so there'd be like the boat and yacht show in Miami. You'd go there and you see those levels of rich. Last summer, I went to the south of France and went to Monaco. Ooh. And that right there is like, what what are you supposed to do with this level of rich? Like, I just can't, I, I just can't imagine. Like, you have a payment plan on this thing? Like, what, what in the world is this boat? Is it, it is just like is it possible for a boat to look cool or like tasteful at that level of expense? Like probably not, right? Oh, I, I think so. Like the Jerry Jones boat looks like a gaudy piece of shit as befitting Jerry Jones. Yeah. But yeah. you go to like Annapolis and shit, and like Bashadi's boat is there, and his is not the biggest boat in the harbor. There's some doctor <laughs> who has one called like Clockwise or some shit. And it's big and it's gaudy, and you're like, that guy's clearly an asshole. But you're like, I wouldn't kick that boat out of the fucking dock slip. All right. <laughs> it's a nice ass boat. By the way, the 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 true move of any dickhead boater is it's not like it has to be the most expensive boat, but it also has to be the loudest. Like if it sounds like the fucking Sturgis rally went through <laughs> Annapolis while you're trying to get a fucking ice cream cone or something, that's how you know that you've encountered a real true boat guy. I have so much to learn about boats. The last two weeks, this entire podcast has been just upended by boater chat. <laughs> well, this, this, this is what I also feel like I can tell you about boats, is it just as a way to tell how rich somebody is before you actually see the boat. If they don't complain about owning the boat, they're crazy rich. Yes! Right? Like, like everybody else complains about owning a boat, except <laughs> yeah. people so rich that like owning the boat is no big deal. Yeah, yeah, because it's... Because the usual axiom is, and I'm sorry, it's a cliche, but it's, you know, the, the two best days of boat ownership, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Yep. But if you're, not, if you're not the asshole who has to work the bilge pump and scrape barnacles off the hull and all that shit, then you don't care. You have like five boats. Who cares a fuck? <laughs> I don't care. Like I own one house. It's a complete pain in the ass. Yes. I had a billion dollars and I had like a, a flotilla of butlers in my disposal. I would give a fuck on my houses. That's I the that actually really puts it in perspective. Like the idea of like owning owning my own home is intimidating to me because it would be a lot of responsibility. The idea of then taking that home and having it float in something that is corroding it and that if anything bad happens to that other home, it sinks to the bottom of the building and you can't get it up is not uh that's not something that I would like to do. Do you know what Unless it is? I had many millions more dollars. Do you know what it is? It's if you can own something, but you don't actually have to be responsible for it. That's like the level. Yes, it's the dream. Yes, yes, because because here's my hot take for you. I can't think of anything that would make my life worse than becoming a billionaire. Yeah, I can Why? think of who, a couple of things probably. Because because who would I hang out with, right? Like if I lost everything, I still got people to kick it with, right? Right. If I get to the point of a billion dollars, all I've done is made my friendships that currently exist very awkward because I won't like any of these people. You but have you're gonna hang so out many... and have a shrimp cocktail with me. Yeah, Bob, Bob Kraft. There's probably some duke named Sergio who doesn't button his shirts like at all. Like they're very I... expensive shirts, but they don't even have yes. buttons on them. That could I be have your, your the new friend. best orthopedist you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one that's fascinated me because one of the dudes that I guess is like the inspiration for billions, I guess, is uh, Steve Cohen, who bought the Mets mm -hmm. this week. And there's a story Lucky about him. You. I, yeah, I know. We got a we got a new guy. He actually has money. Uh, he's also kind of weird. Kind of seems I like mean, a Batman I mean, villain. Yeah, I mean, he has money. He just may or may not. I don't. I think steal is too strong a word to use on how he got some of it. But didn't he get busted for the insider trade? Well, kind of. See, he had to pay one point eight billion dollars worth of penalties. <sighs> but he maybe just chose to do that. He didn't yeah, admit any business. guilt. Yeah, it's the sort of God. thing where, like, sometimes if you're you're under pressure and. You know, uh, the government asked for $1.8 billion. You give it to them. But that doesn't necessarily mean you did anything wrong. <laughs> Imagine being so rich that you're just like, fine. Yeah, that's your like, fuck you money. Like giving a dollar to the Showtime guys on the train. Like, thank you. You're great. Thanks for not kicking me. I do, <laughs> like, think, it, I do think it's gotten to the point where I know you thought steal was too strong of a word, Bamani, but I think you don't get a billion dollars without stealing some of it and fucking like a generous number of people over. 
Not that I wouldn't yeah. want to do that to get a billion dollars, but so I, yeah. I, I want to tell the Cohen thing real quick because this story has <laughs> tormented me. I linked to it in my blog, but I have like thought about it for hours. So right. he apparently is a big, uh, as are we all, diners, drive-ins, and dives fan on the of Food course. Network. He paid Guy Fieri $100,000 to just drive around with him one day and like go to hot dog places in Connecticut that he likes. Yo, I have a friend of mine who his wife is a chef. And they spent a summer living in the Hamptons because this guy wanted them to live there so that his, my buddy's wife could make him lunch. <laughs> that was it. That, that was the whole thing. But what was fascinating about it is that my friend, who's a fairly well-to-do uh, cat himself, one of the other perks of it was there was some camp up there. And then his kids would be allowed to go to the camp. Wow. But the camp has two tiers. And one of the tiers Ooh. is like for the guys, like this guy who pays somebody to do lunch. But the next tier of the camp is effectively for the help, which is what you are when you make this man lunch. Right. right? It's incredible. And so I did not get the full breakdown on the demographics of help camp, but I just imagined my well-to-do Jewish friend bringing his kids up there, and it's for the other help. Like, not the help that's cooking, the help that's cleaning, right? The help that's building. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's incredible too. That they make sure it's like the way that like the really fancy buildings in Manhattan used to have like a separate entrance for people that like when they had like the affordable set aside yes. buildings that they were just like you go in there. Yeah, the so you don't, Yeah, right. So you don't bother. Like Alec Baldwin gets upset if he sees you. So it would be better if you went in that other door. Uh, didn't the yeah. Time Warner yeah. Center have that? Like yeah. the yeah. tenants went in one, like the you know what the glassy atrium or whatever the fuck, and then the help had to go through like. Like, had to crawl up the laundry chute, like, to get to the <laughs> floor or whatever. Yeah, I live, I live in Harlem, and I think that there's a building around here that had gotten in trouble for that. Which, of course, like, doing it here, like, yo, man, we might have to march in front of this. Like, right, we know exactly right. what you're saying say, like, <laughs> yeah. when you do that. What, when the guy, I, I, I want a specification. When the guy moved so that the, the chef, uh, the, 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 the guy's wife could make him lunch, was that like on a routine basis or did he move just so she would make him lunch one time? It was a routine basis. Okay, like it was, right. it, yeah, yeah, it was for the summer. Yeah, no, it wasn't like come up here so you could do it just once and then that's fantastic. No, she was right. now the guy who makes, the, the, she was the woman who makes him lunch. Again, levels of rich are yeah. so fascinating because like, you know, Aside from my other television friends, right? Like I'm the richest person any of my friends know. And I'm like, guys, you don't really seem to understand. This is not what rich actually is. Right. right. There's people that have like, like people that make sandwiches just on call. They make them wear yes. beepers in, in yes. case they're hungry, which is. Yeah, that was my Miami was just a permanent lesson, no matter who you are and how rich you're not. I knew a dude at, who worked at Goldman who never bought socks. And never, wa or I'm sorry, he never washed socks. When he needed new socks, he'd just throw the shit out and buy new ones. Yo, that's my dream. I have been talking, <laughs> about, I have, I have been talking about this, and I've thought about engineering that into my life. I just can't bring myself to it. But like that feeling of putting on a fresh new pair of crispy socks, you could feel that every day. Like if you're legitimately rich, that's where you should spend the money. Like forget about the big boats and all that, you know, the mansions or whatever. No, it's the little things. Like my socks are always crisp. Yeah, I like, I love new sock day and I love new shoe day. Like I love new sneaker day. So if yes. I could do new sock day, I couldn't, my conscience wouldn't let me do it. Cause when the guy yes. told me this, I was like, that's fucked. Don't do that. But if I could do it, then it would be like, well, it's me, so it's very cute. So I'm going I'm to get some fresh Asics every day and walk around in them and be, and I'm going to smoke a shitload of weed and it's going to be like I'm on a fucking bouncy castle. <laughs> yeah, the Jay-Z life, right? Because that was Jay-Z. Like, and I thought about it because Jay-Z talked about how the kind of insecurity of poverty and having to wear beat up shoes all the time, like he could really only wear a shoe like once or twice and then he tosses it out. And so... There's an interesting thing that happens. Like the people who used to be poor and then get rich, it help, hits them a certain way. But then if you grew up like middle to upper middle class and never wanted for a thing in the world, really, like, you know, like you wanted things, but nothing you ever needed. Then when those people get money, it's a whole different spin because they already know that money doesn't make you happy, right? Like they've, <laughs> they've already had that lesson, even if they don't fully grasp it. But when, it, when all of it's brand new, shit, man, they be out here wilding. And I don't blame them. Yeah, I I feel like at times 
Because I like Roth, you and I like goof on old money and all that shit. But sometimes I think the self-made billionaires, like Dan Snyder, is a self-made billionaire. He fucking sucks, and he's yes. miserable, and he's clearly miserable. Like that so guy, all he does, he's looking over his shoulder every day. So I feel like when they make when they make that billion from nothing, there's a chip on their shoulder that never goes away. It's yes. I made this, I earned this. Anybody else can do what I just did. So fuck them if they didn't. That to yeah, me is- and I, I, what I don't get, I mean, I guess I get it, but it's the difference between them and me. Like, I was talking to Ride Home about this, where I was working with this company once that I was, it was a startup, and somebody told me they had been offered a billion dollars, and they said no. And I just can't relate to that at all yeah. whatsoever, right? Because you're so many millions past money that you'd ever notice. Like, you tell me you're giving me a billion dollars, soul i'm not trying to max this thing out man i'm just trying to get to like <laughs> right. you know a decent enough place to be able to do this like i just can't imagine being in the world where those guys are and being like nope gotta get me some more i wouldn't be going to work anymore like i might do stuff but i'm not coming to work yeah. not with pressure i think that's been like a big problem in like politics culture whatever is people not understanding how big a billion is yes like how much more than a million dollars it is yes well i contend that there's another problem which is millionaire doesn't mean millions, right? Like in terms of like functionally how we use it in speech, we've been calling people millionaires for so long that the person we called a millionaire in 1950, that is a completely different person than who we call a millionaire in 2020, right? Like inflation, everything else. You're not like a millionaire now is not nearly as rich as a millionaire was then, but all you hear is millionaire, right? But a billion we're talking about something yeah. totally different here in terms of like scale of what you can possibly do. There's a whole nother world. Yeah, because you can have a million dollars in life and still be a bitch, which sounds completely wrong. But like, I remember who wants to marry a multimillionaire. You remember the Darva Conger and all that shit? Yeah. And she was going to marry this guy on the show, sight unseen, because he was a multimillionaire. But like, it turned out that he wasn't a liquid multimillionaire, like he owned some assets. And like, if you tallied all of his shit together, it came out to like two or $3 million, but he couldn't spend any of it. Cause he like, he just had like holdings and shit like that. So millionaire, yeah, you can be a millionaire because your house is technically worth a million dollars or whatever, but you're still like desperate to pay mortgages and shit like that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. Like, I think a million dollars, I think that person can spend, that person can buy whatever they want anytime they want. And they can't. Right. Right. When do you Tim think- for, Tim for Tina did an interview in Houston about this. Cause you know, he's, a, he's an interesting kind of rich, right? Cause that dude just borrowed, <laughs> yes. hundreds of millions. Yeah. He just borrowed hundreds of millions of dollars at 13%. Like he put it on the, the, the Sapphire card basically. Right. <laughs> but he was explaining, I thought it was actually interesting. He was talking to Jerome Solomon in the Houston Chronicle and he was just like, look, people don't understand what it is to be a billionaire. Like it doesn't mean that you got a billion dollars in cash. You got a billion dollars in equity here, half billion dollars in equity there, all this stuff. But then he couldn't help himself at the end. And he's like, I could put $500 million on the table right now. If, uh, if I needed to, that said, he's not going to fire his general manager. Why? Cause he just lost a billion dollars in the last six months. Yeah. <laughs> and all his money is in the worst pandemic places, a basketball team, restaurants, casinos, and amusement parks. Yeah. That's incredible. The idea of being like, <laughs> it's like, obviously we're in an economic downturn, sir, but good luck. Uh, there's some good news <laughs> for you. You own rainforest cafe <laughs> and Russell Westbrook. He's at, so, he's at that level, though. He's at that level, though, where he has all the bad investments, but he could just be like, well, could I just have some more debt, please? And they <laughs> just, and some bank would just yeah. be like, yeah, sure, you can have some debt. Here, here's some debt. And he's like, oh, yeah. great. I'll just buy a Gulf Stream now and fuck yeah, around. But see, Fertitta is different, though. Fertitta from Galveston, Texas, which may not mean very much to a lot of people here, but like, understand that that's like where Jack Johnson is from. Like, that is in Texas, that, that's, that's it's the seedy beach town. Right. And right. so that's where all the, that, that's where the mob guys and everything else like were kicking it was down there. And so there's just a whole story about all of them. And they are just like renegade. Their money is a little it's always interesting like, <laughs> who their money is and where it goes. So like for Tita's not, oh, I would just add more debt. He's like, hey, man, <laughs> I need it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to take it. Like that's the game he's playing. <laughs> Uh, should we talk about current topics? I don't, I don't want to, I just want to keep the whole podcast as just one long tangent about. Yeah. We'll get there eventually. Like we did cover the Mets getting sold. That was an accident, but it did happen. 
By the way, why do you keep like this Mets thing? Why do you keep doing that? Like I've been uh, asking people why they keep doing these things that make them miserable. It's a good so question. from what my therapist has told me, we're several years away from even getting to that part <laughs> of the neurosis. <laughs> it's I don't know. I grew up with it, you know, like well, well, but well, like well, all well. kinds of. But yeah, obviously it's a bad habit. Like I will say that this year I watched a lot less. Like I watched enough at the beginning to know that it didn't feel right and that it wasn't really going to make me happy no matter what happened. Um, but, but here's the thing. You're like 34, 35, right? Uh, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 I just, no, no. I just had a lot of work done. I'm like, I'm no. 42, dude. Oh, really? Yeah. I okay. Okay. Well, you know what, though? Actually, that makes it better. Yeah, because I remember because, a good time. Yes. That, that was where I was going, right? Like yeah. the Mets in 86 had maybe the best team in the history of New York City baseball. And I was eight. So they were the yeah. coolest people in the world to me. Exactly. Exactly. Because everybody needs a bunch of dope feeds and races. Right. To like, you know, to grow up emulating. I just, you. Yeah. I just like that they like slid head first into bases all the time. Like that was like the idea that they were also like as soon as the game was over, just like diving into Scrooge McDuck like vaults of coke <laughs> and just punching each other until the next game started. Like I, yeah, know, I they, found that out later. Thanks yeah, to they Jeff have Perlman. My, yeah, they have my least favorite baseball player of all time, but that guy was on a different team that was my least favorite baseball team of all time. That's Lenny Dykstra, yeah. who then joined the 93 Phillies, which is absolutely my least favorite baseball team that has ever existed. In yeah, the world. they were definitely, like, that was a team of guys that, like, it was good that they were good at baseball because the other thing that they would have done was, like, just get in fights at bowling alleys. Like, there was just, <laughs> like, a deep dirtbag vibe to them. I the Mets had that too, but there was something glamorous about it because it was like '80s New York and stuff. Yeah, well, I, they also, but the Phillies also didn't have anybody that was like wildly impressive. Like there was no Gooden and no Strawberry, or even like or even a Keith Hernandez, right? Like they didn't have any of those guys on that team. All they just had was like the gutter, yeah. wall to wall gutter everywhere you look. I remember I loved that team <laughs> at the time because I was like, oh, they're like, they're like me. They're 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 just regular guys because like John Crook would like. Did yes. the thing where like he cutely ducked away from a Randy Johnson pitch in the All Star game. Yes, and I liked Lenny because I was like, "Wow, he hustles!" And then <laughs> Darren Dalton, I was like, "Wow, he's a catcher! Wow, and, he's got a perm!" Yeah, and, there was and yeah, and Mitch Williams, I was like, "Wow, it's like Ricky Vaughn, but he's real!" And like, <laughs> and they all turned out to be shits. Right, and yeah. at the time, you didn't know that the worst guy on the team was the le the less famous Kurt Schilling. Yeah, I had wow, no he idea. really. He he slow played that one perfectly. Where's like the one guy that looks like, oh, that guy, like he reads books, I guess, right? And then like <laughs> later on, you find out like what books he's reading and you're like, oh no. Oh, I Even was terribly like, wrong. I want to consider John Crook. I, I had completely forgotten that, that they really had sold us on Kurt Schilling as the smart guy in baseball. And it's not that he's dumb. It's just that he doesn't use his powers for good yep. in any way whatsoever. He yeah. hates my guts, too. I've never met him. He hates my guts. He hates everybody's guts, though, to be yeah, fair. That's his... Yes. So he's don't, don't feel too bad. Yeah, I think that he's really upset that people misjudged his historic collection of Naziana. Everybody yes. keeps trying to make it seem like it's weird to have a bunch <laughs> of SS uniforms in your basement. Heritage, not hate. It's just, this is his. What are you going to do? Erase history? Oh. Yeah. Hey, the wild thing with him is that, like, my standards for white people on these things just aren't very high. I've been fooled and bamboozled many times before. So Fair. I am an adamant Kurt Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame type. I just don't draw the line in these moralistic places that other people do. And every time he gets out and he says something about me or something crazy, I just love jumping up and saying, I believe Kurt Schilling is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. I just love throwing that out there because I do. I legitimately believe this, and I just imagine the look on his face when I say it. Yep. Because I do imagine that that would make him angry in a way that you being like an attempted cancellation would just make him happy. Instead of you're like, I loved your work, man. That was crazy with your when your ankle was bleeding like that. Right. I can't believe that. That's the uh, that's the equivalent of uh, like someone talking trash to you after like ruining your shit on a football field and you. Just bring up and you say, God bless yes. you. Like, there yeah. are like, there's like a, yes. there are like, there are certain players who will do that and just, yes. just, and like, they, like, I know like Tim Tebow is like a good guy, whatever the fuck. But it's also like, there's a little gamesmanship in there. Yeah, was, that, and, was it Andrew Luck that used to do that where there was like yes. endless highlight videos of him getting tackled yes. and getting up and being like, wow, that really hurt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah, he would be like, good, good, good hit, guy. Thank you so much. By the way, I'm oh. going to retire. <laughs> He's the least Texas Texan that has ever existed 
is Andrew Luck. Like, it's mind-blowing that he exists at this. But tell me this. Have you seen um, Jason Cole is writing a book on Elway or the book is written and it's coming out and there's a chapter on Tebow Mania that is just basically about how it just drove John Elway crazy having to deal with Tebow that year. And then they just kept winning and he couldn't feel like he had to go get Peyton Manning to make this end. Yeah, that's fun. Especially of all the guys that Elway would dislike to, a dude that can't even throw. With like yes. normal sized teeth, he's like, "Where do you? What kind of quarterback is that?" <laughs> but what they also said about uh, Tebow was that somebody described him. I, I read the Daily Mail did some write up on it, and they described him as like the most self centered, humble guy they've ever met. Which just everything Ooh. about Tebow like jumps out on the screen right there when you hear that. I'm like, "Yep, that sounds yeah. about right." Well, yeah, I like he's that. Just very brand aware, right? Like he's not like because he thinks he's on like a mission from God, so he's yes. going to never set a foot wrong. Never say anything that's like not, you know, in the sort of like Teddy Ruxpin cassette tape in his brain of like the five or six things he can say. That's yeah. like uh, well, that's like uh, Dwight Howard before we figured out who Dwight Howard actually was. That's like, been so gratifying because he's yo, such he's a pervert. <laughs> yo, I've come to kind of feel bad for Dwight over time, to be honest. Right. Like Dwight was doing everything that makes everybody love you. And then all at once, everybody said, no, <laughs> We hate you, and we hate you because of all this stuff that we told you that we loved you for doing. And he's just like, "What? What are you? What are you? What are you talking about?" And you know, he's the other cautionary tale: do not tell the world you're a virgin, then get millions of dollars and become an NBA basketball player. That's a wrap on that for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went downhill from there. Yep. They got all. They got all them damn kids. He can't stop. He can't let it go. Unprotected sex is a drug to some people, right? Where they get a taste of it and then they just can't go back to what life used to be. He can't go talk to his parents because they're going to tell him he's going to hell. You know, so now, and they're asking him for money all the time. He's got like eight kids. He thinks he's going to hell and nobody likes him. It's just, and then he's he's like, he's like, wait, I'll win you back with just a really great t shirt that says fart on it. Yeah, well, that's, his sincere corniness, to the extent that I can feel any sympathy for him, it's that I think he comes by his corniness very honestly. Like, I think yes. he's he's like, he really is like just a 15-year-old or like in the way that people get sort of frozen at the age when they become famous. They're like the moment when it became clear that he was like going to play in the NBA for 15 seasons and maybe make the Hall of Fame. Like he was still a teenager at that point, like it, beyond like your brain not being finished. He's like, he's bigger than everybody else. He's different than everybody else. He's better known than everybody else. Like, it would be miraculous if you came out of that a well-adjusted person. And I don't think he did. And nobody likes him. Like, the NBA is so wild. Because I've asked people, I'm just like, yo, what is it with Dwight? And it just all comes back to he's lame. Like, like I've never heard of somebody just being, like, offensively lame to the whole (laughs) league. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. You would think, like, from... From the uh, from the animus he generates, that he was like that he like fucked everybody's wife, but it just turns out it just turns out he's just so so irritably corny to them that they just don't want it, like they don't want it to rub off on them. Like they're like, right. oh, I don't want to be seen. It's like it's like an elementary school. Like I don't want to be seen with the lame kid because everyone will think I'm lame too. So <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say that kid sucks. It's just that in this case, like the lame kid is like a centimillionaire Superman looking dude that can like still do anything he wants, more or less. It's a strange sport. And also, tell me, who's the guy that at like age 35 decides I'm going to get a rack of tattoos? Well, I mean, somebody that's got something to prove. Somebody that like, like basically is surrounded only by like hangers on and like Skittles brand reps that are like, we, we want to try some new flavors, Dwight. We're working on some new ones. <laughs> I love it. Let's take a break and come back with the fun bag with Pomani Jones. We'll be right back. We're back. We're back. We have to talk about one current thing, which is that uh, as as I'm recording this, the Big Ten just said that they're coming back at the end of October, which is uh, there are levels of fucked upness to this, Bamani, that yes. I think need to be sort of – we don't have time to break them down. There will be entire books written about how fucked up it is, probably yeah. by Taylor Branch. But it's like – all right, first of all, they're coming back when they said they weren't going to come back until 2021. And then the president bitched at them. 
and like I don't like Clay Travis orchestrated a summit with Kevin Warren and Trump, or I don't even I don't even fucking know because at this point I'm already dealing with people who's <laughs> who are who I can't trust any more than I trust like a Domino's delivery to arrive on time. <laughs> so there's that. They're coming back, even though cases of Corona are spiking exactly in the Midwest, right where the Big Ten happens to be, or you know the original Big Ten. Now that it's 28 teams, I don't know. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, part of it is because Illinois has a special spit test uh, that they had, that they pioneered themselves, and they're using on their athletes. And it seems like the Big Ten is going to use these tests on their players and not exclusively uh, like on the other students at the schools. I could be wrong about that. You can correct me. But And then uh, and then I got like Ed, you know, Coach O over at LSU, that's not in the Big Ten, being like, well, my team has all the <laughs> And that's just fine. <laughs> and so it's it's fucked. And Bamani, you wrote about it in Vanity Fair. You wrote about the sort of the general pandemic uh, response by college football. And it, it's a fantastic article, and I cannot recommend it enough. But you've examined this already through uh, a very painstaking, detailed point of view. But what's your reaction now that this news is broken? Why are we trusting these people? Right? Like, that's what it all comes down to. Like, the we thing shouldn't. I always you're right. The thing I always say about credibility, like, credibility is like insurance. You don't need it till you need it. Right. Which I right. actually think is a running theme on everything that's happening right now. It's kind yeah. of the collapse of trust in institutions. Right. Yeah. And or institutional everybody- function in general is the sort of thing where it's like, I was worried about that shit. Like, it's not like we're having a pandemic. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but all of it, I really think it comes down to, People don't trust or believe anything, including good sense. Like they, they, they just don't. And so I remember when I like before I started working specifically on the Vanity Fair piece, I was talking to some players um, that were in the Pac-12 about just you know what was going on. And this particular team was holed up at a hotel, and they wanted to get out of the hotel, and they said they didn't feel safe while they were in the hotel and all this stuff. And then I did a little more digging about the hotel, and I was like, okay, like we're still dealing with college students, right? There is a tendency to overreact about some things. And I, I found those circumstances weren't as bad as they said. I talked to the coach in the athletic department, and it made me feel like such a fucking grown-up, right? Where I'm like, you know, after talking to the grown-ups, I need to go back <laughs> and explain to the kids that, you know, maybe it's not the way that you see it. But then when I was doing that, I listened to kids, and I was like, oh, your problem isn't that you think that your school isn't doing enough. It's that you're talking to all these other schools, the players at the other schools, and they're not getting it done. Yeah. And so right. that's, and that's where they were petrified. Is they're like, yo, eventually we're going to have to go play against some people who are not doing the things that we are doing, and then we're all going to get sick, and then it's all going to go downhill. Okay, got it. So they say they've got this testing available in the Big Ten, and if they can get the testing available, then like, okay, if you can find a way to make it safe, I guess, okay, but like I'm looking at the SEC and, you know, there's been a whisper campaign about this and it seems hard to deny or, or hard to dismiss just the idea that there's some programs that thought this was the chicken pox and figured if everybody got sick, then everything would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah like that's the whole thing is, well, it's not going to kill you. That is such a low threshold yeah. for whether or not you should do something. It's not like a, not like a people are you. not, it's not like a light switch where the idea is being like, well, if you're not dead, then I think we can all agree that you're fine. Yeah. yeah, well, is, yeah the, like, the whole pandemic is, is a, essentially a trust test because I have to trust that, you know, someone I see, the people they see are being responsible and that the people they see are being responsible and all that. And we just have fucking failed so badly. And so how can I, particularly with so much money on the line, as Rado said uh, the other week, like college football is going to go on because they have inventory to fill on television. Like, you know, I, you know, I, this, I can't, the entire web of college football is already rotted to begin with. And I'm supposed to trust that for a pandemic response right now, after I've learned how little I can trust the rest of it. Yeah. Like, and the, and the money situation is real. Like this is, yeah. this is like, this is a, like, I, I, the one thing I do push back on is when people say that they're only doing this to be greedy. Greed is an element of this, right? But they're not doing this to get money as much as they're doing this to pay bills, which is a, an, an important distinction to make, right? Like if you ain't got nothing to do when you try to scrape up all this money, that's one thing. 
but they got some bills that are due. And I can't pretend like I'm not compromised given that I work at the place that sells college football, right? Like, right. if they want to get this game out here and get it going, it, it, it matters a lot to people I work with. It matters a lot to me, like, you know, in functional ways. Like, I get why they're out here doing it, but that whole reason is why you can't trust nobody. You can't yeah. trust a single person who is involved in making these decisions. It's funny because, like, the Mountain West and those conferences that said they're not going to play, ain't nobody thinking about them at all. Right. It was just right. – it was just the Big Ten because the Big Ten had the weak link, which was the new commissioner. And they figured that they could squeeze the new commissioner and then they went and squeezed these presidents. And now they're going to get, they said they're going to be out here in the middle of October. Do people know that it's already the middle of September? Yeah. Well, this is, I think for them too, they actually have set, it looks like these little, these standards and triggers about if there's a certain level of contamination, they're going to stop. They actually put themselves in a position where I think it will be very difficult for them to get through the season honestly. Yes, that was that was the point I was going to make. I saw that too, like the twenty-one day, like if you yeah, test positive, and you can't there's do a five percent thing, then you have to drop out, and like right, and that encourages people to lie. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing it does. And so I wonder from there, like, I mean, I don't know why I would assume that the Big Ten would be different about it fundamentally than the SEC because they are. It's the same business with different accents, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's not necessarily like an integrity that's, you know, unique to the University of Michigan as much as the University of Michigan might want to believe that. But to me, it, it all comes back to like the idea of like, if it can't be done safely, which I think at this point, given where we are in terms of treatment management of the pandemic, it's safe to say that it's not possible to do. Yeah. Then like, where did they see this all going? Like, There's is no there an end game? That's no. my thing. I see no foresight. Like I, so I thought when the Pac-12 did it, from what I could tell from talking, to, because I've, I've talked to a lot more of the Pac-12 people than anywhere else, it seemed fairly clear to me that Stanford was running things in the Pac-12. Like Stanford said this wasn't safe. Who are you, president at Wazoo? To come yeah, tell right. the president at Stanford <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, this, that you know they were trusted Stanford's doctors, whatever it is, and I think the Stanford was a little too hoity-toity to engage in this because of what worst-case scenario was. But Ohio State seems to run the Big Ten, and Ohio State is quietly a fairly hoity-toity academic institution, but they answer to the streets, and the streets are not hoity-toity at all. The streets yeah. just want football, and so Ohio State, even though their president, it seems pretty, no, their president voted against playing. I mean, voted for, voted for playing because they got a new president who also is a woman. It's worth noting, and I bring that up just because you can look at the hell Kevin Warren's catching. If you think it don't got nothing to do with the fact that he's black, you're crazy. And so you now you got the new female president at Ohio State with the best team they've had in 30 years probably in that same situation. So then all of a sudden, Ohio State said, we want to do this. Then Nebraska gets loud. Why the fuck are we listening to them? Yeah. It's not 1983. Like, I how do they have, how do they have any sway? Where every time Nebraska talks about Big Ten stuff, I'm like, you know what? Stick to your own conference. And then I'm like, yeah. oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and Rutgers are, like, somehow a part of this conversation now. Yeah, yeah no, they've, become, they've become the Washington football team of college football, where it's yes. like they think they're much more important than they are. And the yep. Ohio State thing was compounded by motherfucking Ryan Day issuing his statement where it's like, why can't we play? Yes. We just want to play. We want answers. That's all. It's just asking questions as a football coach because curiosity <laughs> is what a football coach is all about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the spirit of rational inquiry that defines this profession. <laughs> right. And then we get all these parents and the house, like the Big Ten parent thing was interesting because it was like all white people and then like Sean Wade's dad and Justin Fields' dad at Ohio State. Like, I had never heard of these other kids whose parents were showing up. None of them. But Ohio State looked around and was like, okay, so this might not look so good. Let's get our two best players' parents out here, and then they'll be <laughs> fighting for this. And I'm looking at it for, like, Justin Fields and for uh, Sean Wade. I'm like, you kids have nothing to gain from playing football. Y'all yeah. need to be the ones trying to stay your asses at home. Seriously, wait, like, a, in a year, you will have millions of dollars. Yes. Like, just do it. But they, Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think, I mean, guys like Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette already proved that if you sit out some a bowl game and shit like that, it's not going to affect your pro prospects at no. all. Like, Scott's wow. kind of got over that shit. So Justin Fields would still be a first rounder. I mean. Yeah. yeah. What I don't, what, and what also what I could tell from talking to some players around, it's hard for you to grasp it, I think, that when you're knee deep in it. But what they don't understand is everyone who doesn't have a vested interest in college sports thinks is insane. 
Like the farther away that you get from the weeds on it, everybody looks at it like, yo, this is absurd. That's why nobody's draft stock falls because you took money in college. Because the NFL guys are like, yo, that shit is stupid. Right. They're like, like, we're, yeah. we're, we're going to give you money to play football. That's actually our whole business. Yes. Yeah. They're like, just don't lie to us about it if we ask you. Right. But nobody's yeah. like, I think, I think with Cam Newton, if he went in there and told them exactly what the dollar about was, they'd shake his hand. Like, oh, good job. Yeah. Way to go. Do you so sense you talk? But my, if you talk to all the Pac-12, a lot of Pac-12 people, do you sense, since the Big Ten is turning around on this and backtracking, do you fear uh, that the Pac-12 uh, might do likewise? No, because they can't go outside and play football right now. The coast yeah. is on fire. Right. Like that's the that's the other part of this is that if the Pac-12 was playing, like Ohio State was supposed to play Oregon last weekend, they wouldn't have been able to play that game. Like the Pac, the Pac-12 right now has. Much bigger fish to fry. And you know how fish are frying right now? Over forest fire. That is how we are frying the fish right now in the Pac-12. So, no, I don't, I don't think they are going to play. And they don't really have – well, one, they don't have a push. And, two, if they do want to play, they got to deal with these players who are still been over there working and organizing and mobilizing and trying to get a check. Like, people have to remember that Big Ten United movement, they are trying to work with the Big Ten, where the Pac-12 is absolutely players are absolutely operating on uh, in an adversarial way in dealing with them. And so the Pac-12 is like, no, nah, we don't want to talk about this. And I think they feel they'll be able to get to basketball season and have all the tests and go. I think they're going to get a rude awakening. They're going to find out, no, nah, man, you got a lot more people pushing back at you than you realize. Yeah. Can, can I ask you a fun bag question? You ready for a fun bag question, Bamani? Because you got hard out soon. This is from Chad. Chad writes in, pizza crust was invented so you have something to give your drooling, slobbering dog after you're done eating all the greasy, cheesy goodness, right? I find no other reason for it to exist. Do you stand with Chad on this? No, I do not. I, yeah. I, 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 like, I, like, the, I like the change, you know, the, the switch up that you get by the time you get to the crust. And you guys may have seen that at the time the Jada Kiss put the picture up of how he orders his pizza at like some New York spot. I can't remember what it is, but... All he gets is that little bit of like cheese and sauce right next to the crust, and they they cut a circle around, and that's just what he eats. That I have oh, not really? seen that. That yes. is so obviously. I mean, I respect Jada Kiss always, longtime listener of the podcast. Thank you uh, for for your support over the years. Is he really rich enough to order a pizza like that though? And I guess it all depends on where you decide that, to put your money. That feels like an incredible flex. Like the idea of being like, <laughs> I'm getting a pizza, but like you got to take the pizza part out. I'm getting, I want the bread ring with the crusty cheese on it, which yeah, there is to my mind the best part of the pizza. But like, geez, that is. I'm, lo- I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at the photo on this Instagram. It is the saddest looking fucking pizza order I've ever seen. <laughs> it's true. It's a pizza donut where they took out the middle, like a, it's almost like one of my kids carved it out and stole it and left me with just the shit. And then three sad, the plastic containers of marinara sauce sitting in the middle of the fucking box. So it looks like, yeah. it looks like, it looks like a murder mystery clue. It does, but I do, <laughs> but that part of the pizza is gold, man. That, that, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little bit of everything. It's like the Neapolitan ice cream of it all. Yeah. If there, I, I, if there uh, was a way to do, I mean, like that's to me, like that's the, the argument on behalf of crust is that like, it's the most interesting part of it. It's the part of it that's got the highest, you know, sort of variance and can be better or worse depending on sure. the craft that's put into it. So I, I, I got to disagree with Chad on this one. This is a really interesting segue that we made from that conversation to this question. I I'm bad. I, I leave bones on the plate. I, uh, I remember I went to it when, when we were at Deadspin, we went out to a team dinner at, at like a nice pizzeria, and like there are a bunch of there are a bunch of pizzas out, and I just started scarfing down slices, but leaving leaving the crust because I I didn't have time for that shit. I just wanted to get to like the good stuff, and like everyone was like, Drew, you gotta eat the fucking crust, you piece of shit. And I was like, No, 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 no. So so even though I disagree with Chad, in practice, I'm I'm being a hypocrite because sometimes I don't eat the fucking pizza crust, which is terrible. I'm not. I'm not mad at you, man. I'm not mad anymore. <laughs> anyway, uh, you want the uh, the guy of the week before you go, Bamani? I'll do that. 
All right, because the guy of the week this week is Robert Pig Goff, former lineman of the New Orleans Saints. You remember Pig Goff? I do. I was like, wow, you just broke out Pig Goff. Yeah, yes. I'm glad. I'm glad you do because I had to. I had to Google him. You uh, know, well, it's he, one he's of those any things. Given Sunday. It all depends on how much you like how, your John Madden love, right? Because nobody yes. loves talking about Pig Goff more than John Madden. In fact, that John is Madden is the only. Right. He's the only reason we know his name is Pig Goff because you can't tell John Madden that the dude goes by Pig and think he's not all over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Man, every broadcast was like, this guy who goes by pig. Like, that's a terrible John Madden impression. But he was like, like he would, like he, you know, like pig golf would show up on like the graphic and he'd circle it with the telestrator. This guy's pig. Amazing. <laughs> Lamani, you've been a fantastic guest. I'm going to let you sign off because you got a hard out. You have been beautiful and wonderful and we cannot thank you enough. We'll take I... a break and come right back. Thanks, man. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, we're back for the final segment. We don't have Bomani anymore, though. So the Magic's lost. It's just finally. Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, it sucks the air out of the room. That was cool as hell. Was, uh, let's we can do our our usual dumb shit now. We don't have to embarrass uh, ourselves in front of Bomani Jones. So I, was, I have like a daydream sometimes where I go on like Colbert or something like that, and like I'm the guest, but like his guest the next night is like Obama or something, <laughs> and so like I make a joke like. Like, oh, this audience got fucked. Like, this audience, like once they hear ne- tomorrow night's guest, they're going to be so mad that they got this shit for brands sitting on the couch. Yep. Uh, hey, we didn't drink from the poison chalice, and I'm so sorry. Oh, that, yeah, uh, good. That Bomani couldn't join us for Jenny, <laughs> for Jenny Jong's uh, against kettle chips rant on Eater. She's against kettle chips, Roth. That Can is you believe this? A new perspective for me. I didn't realize yeah. that it was possible to get mad at kettle chips. I, you know, this is one of those takes where if she said, I don't like kettle chips, that would be fine. But there's a strain of take where it's like, well, I'll, I'll give you the sentence she writes. She, Jenny writes, the old-fashioned appeal of kettle chips belies one highly subjective truth. They are bad. <laughs> and you know what? The word subjective in there kind of muddles my objection with the take. Because a lot, like, like Albert will do this sometimes where he'll just be like, like actually, that movie is bad. Well, no, you didn't like it. You didn't get to. You don't get to say it's. You right. don't get to say it's bad for the rest of humanity. I only get to say that about Magnolia because it fucking sucks. Whoa, hey, like, come on. There's some good. There's some good stuff in Magnolia. You got the where they sing. Uh, John C. Riley talking to himself. I don't want to give away too much of the movie. Uh, Awful. But, yeah. All right. Fine. Whatever. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do Magnolia again, Drew. Jenny writes. While some might find it a sensory pleasure to chew on a handfuls on handfuls of sharp. Spud shards that jab at their gums. I confess I do not. Kettle chips are too hard, too edged, and too committed to a brutality of texture to deliver a balanced, gustatory experience. Zoomers are killing kettle chips. In print. Yeah. In print. I think the the argument against kettle chips, and I'm trying to be fair here because I've liked them. I, I remember when Cape Cod hit the streets when I was a kid, and I was like, I've <laughs> never tasted anything like this. That it, for me, like... If you want to say that they taste too much like the oil they were fried in, I can sort of see that. But like, no, that was a berry take. I fucking hated that. But it, they also taste like salt. They taste like potatoes, oil, and salt. What else are you expecting your potato chip to taste like? Yeah, that's it. Like, oh, this this fried thing tastes fried. What the fuck did you expect? Did you did you expect did you expect a hint of chives in there? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it's just, like it's kind of disappointingly crunchy. Like these are a little. I was sort of hoping for something. Not that I don't like getting a randomly spongy potato chip in my bag. Uh, that is a that is a kettle chip experience that you get every now and then. You get a chewy one. But Ugh. I haven't had, yeah. I, I've only had kettle, I think I probably eat them once a year. There's a sandwich in Maine that I think about all year long, and then I get to eat it one time, and it comes mm-hmm. with a little bag of kettle chips. Young's you Lobster Pound. Chips? Yeah, Young's Lobster Pound of uh, Bel- Belfast, Maine. But uh, I assume the lobster is really the star. The lobster is the star. Uh, it's a slightly unconventional sandwich because it's got a, a piece of um, lettuce on it, and it's on a, a burger bun instead of the conventional hot dog bun. Ooh! But wow. uh, I think Out that anyone who tries it will agree that altogether it is a remarkable experience. My only kettle chip take negative one is that I want them to bring back the spicy Thai flavor because it was a bitchin' like normally like. 
normally novelty potato chip flavors are just bad, and you're like, this is interesting, but I want to go back to cheddar and sour cream yeah. or something. One like thing that. I can say for that take that I I don't know if I appreciated it because I didn't agree with it, and it's kind of has that like overdetermined feel to it. It kind of took me back a little bit that like before the internet was just or before the internet before like. <laughs> everything got real bad and the vibes got real shitty. This was like the sort of thing that people would routinely lose days to on Twitter. Like someone would be like, frosted mini wheats are a fucking lie. And then everyone would just scream about it all day long. But like in the way that like puppies pretend to fight, you know, like it was like there wasn't really any problem that was so pressing that would keep you from engaging the frosted mini wheats debate for five hours a day. And that's just not the world that we live in right now. That used to be my, one of my go-to breakfasts, and then, uh, and then I had ear surgery, and and I lost some of my sense of taste, and like somehow it became flavorless to me, which is a funny thing to say about frosted mini weights because they don't taste like jack shit. Yeah, anyway. right. You know, like I can't notice the frosting. Like I lost yeah. the, the subtle notes in every yeah. bite of frosted mini weights. I I remember when I was a kid, I saw like frosted, not even not even frosted mini weights, but like like a box of shredded wheat. And like the shredded part appealed to me, like it was like bigly chew. I was like, that looks appealing. Yeah. And then I tasted it and I was like, this is shit. Yep. I'm eating. I'm eating a fucking wad of hay. Yeah, it's like just some like... full on grown up flavors for kids not to enjoy. I kind of uh, liked them because you... they were fucked up, but that was, you know, I had a, I ate all kinds of weird things as a kid. Do you want to subject yourself to a mashup before I get to the end credits? Uh, I mean, if you feel like singing, I don't see any reason for you not to sing. Oh, all right. All right. Okay. Well, here you go. Here's your mashup. Sometimes I feel I got to uh, uh, run away with me, run away with me. I've got to run away with me, run away with me. <laughs> it's so bad. So yeah, um, that that was that was pretty bad. Um, so I've got you know you got your soft sell at the beginning. Yes, run right. away with me could be anything. Uh, I'm not sure that I even know what song you were trying to sing there. Oh, well, the song was Run Away With Me by Kelly Ray Jepsen. So oh, okay. Oh, all right. Well, that makes some sense. I should I have, I honestly... Thought, if, I thought that would be the easy part, but No, it I'm out. old, and your your knowledge of Carly Ray Jepsen is such that I probably, honestly, should just default to that no matter what, where it's either going to be, like, <laughs> Carly Ray Jepsen or White Lion, no matter what. <laughs> but, That's fair enough. Brandon Nix is the producer and engineer of The Distraction. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer, and Stitcher's chief content officer is the mysterious Chris Bannon. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium, but you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium. If you go to stitcherpremium.com and you use the promo code DISTRACT, that's right, that's how you get your free month. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. I'll see you next week, Roth. See ya. (laughs) 